You are listening to the ASAP for Synergy on Thursday, March the 18th. This week's message continues the series, But Why? And is from Brian Marshall on Colossians 3, 15 through 17. Here's Brian with the message, and we'll be back in a little bit to talk about some takeaways from this week's message. DCSF! Man, yeah, I I don't know about you, but the common reaction that I I, um, hear from people when they see the feast lineup is that they they drop their heads and I'm like, are these my glasses that are steamed up? No, there's like a bunch of fog in the air. Um, But, uh, you know, it's one of the common reactions I hear is people go, okay, so there's this main speaker, we got a couple main sessions, and then they they hear that, you know, you got uh, Preston Perry, who is the husband of Jackie O'Perry, you got uh, Derwin Gray, do any of y'all know Derwin Gray? Derwin's story, he was an NFL player and just, and then went to, after several years in the NFL, went to seminary. He's an African-American pastor in Charlotte. A great, great, I mean, if you go to YouTube, type him up, his videos are all over the place, great. And then you've got Mo Isom, of course, not, not least there. And so people go, when they hear, it's like, hey, so you got these two main sessions, but then you've got these breakout sessions where we're going to be Skyping these people. They're like, but then you have, you have to choose one. People are like, oh, I've got to choose between like Preston Perry, Mo Isom, Derwin Gray, but we're going to be recording them all. So afterwards, if whichever one you don't go to, to at Feast uh, coming up. You'll be able to hear them all. But I am super excited tonight to hopefully uh, bring you all what I hope is. Uh, any seniors in the house? We have a few seniors. Yeah, I got a few seniors here. I, what I hope is a very freeing uh, message for you. And I hope it's a freeing, you know, there's some, there's sometimes you, you come up on stage if you're, if you're teaching and you kind of feel like, you know, well, this kind of feels like it's aimed a little bit more towards maybe people who are, are new to church or, you know, new to a ministry like CSF or just kind of starting to ask God questions in their life. And, and then there's other times you get up here and you kind of feel like, man, maybe this is kind of more for people who've, who've been around a while and feel like, man, I, I, I want to, I'm really, uh, yes, I'm in on this Jesus thing and want to grow. Tonight's one of those nights that I hope kind of hits the balance where it's actually for both people, people who are new and just kind of starting to ask questions about, about Jesus and what it means to follow him and, and what does he have for my life. And also people have been following him a really long time. If I could sum up what I would uh, say tonight, I'd say this. I love the way Tim Keller puts it, uh, the famed uh, New York City pastor for a long time, that your work matters to God and God matters to your work. Work matters to God, God matters to your work. Let me try to unpack this. Uh, You know, I think in life, especially in our culture today, there's a lot of talk about freedom. But in all honesty, I don't think a lot of what our culture produces and our world produces is actually freedom. In fact, in many ways, I feel like it produces a lot of enslavement. Maybe you see that in the lives of others, maybe you feel that in the life of yourself, in, in your own life. And without getting too far into it, let me just say this. Uh, we hear a lot about identity narratives in our, in our world, about our identity being found in this or that. And a lot of what we hear about these identity narratives that we hear so much about, what's intended for liberation, what's intended for liberation, in fact, ends up in limitation. What, what we hear about liberation, in fact, it ends up in limitation. And one of the big identity markers that we wrestle with in our world, one of the things that, that, that gets labeled on people and that we ourselves label ourselves with is, what do you do? What is your job? What, what's your, what, 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 what line of work you're in? Or maybe for, in college you hear the, the phrase a lot, what are you studying? What do you hope to be someday? It's a question that we hear over and over and over again. What do you do? What are you going to be someday? 
And while at CSF we talk a lot about the who question being more important than the what, of starting with that question of who, who am I? Who did God make me to be? Am I the sort of person that God can love? Am I the sort of person that, that God can forgive? If he, if he really knew everything about me, could he forgive me? Am I the sort of person who God can take joy in, who God can give purpose to? And, and let me just say tonight to those who questions, yes, 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 and yes. Yes, God does love you. Yes, no matter what you bring to the table, God, God can forgive, God can redeem, God can restore. That is who you are. You are beloved. If you've come through the way of Jesus, you are his. That is who you are. And while it's important to ask questions of who, it is also very pivotal, though, that we also ask the questions of what. Because chances are that you came to college to make something out of your life. Maybe you weren't sure what it was going to be, but, but you were like, man, I, I want to do something. I, I want my life to, I, I want to do something with the gifts that I've been given, or maybe try to discover the gifts that I, that I don't even know that I have yet. And when we read that passage in Colossians, it is an incredibly freeing verse, incredibly freeing set of verses there to what God has for us. Yes, who he has called us to be, but also what he has. So let me just read this again really quick because I just want to, I want to make sure we have it in our, in our heads. Again, in Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And listen to this, and please, please, please hear this verse, bury it in your heart and mind. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, there is no exception in that verse. Whatever you do, whatever you do. And so tonight, I'm going to try and unpack a lot. I'm going to try to move pretty quickly. So uh, when you hear that I've got four principles and six questions, you may go, okay, it's time for me to leave because Brian's going to go really long. I'm going to try and move really quickly through this, but I want to give you four principles for how we unpack this in our lives. And then at the very end, I want to give you six very quick questions to ask when you say, God, what is it you want me to do with my life? The first one, and I want to spend a little more time on this one. So if you think, man, he's really going long on point one. Are we ever going to get through the last nine? Uh, point one that I want to hit tonight, the first principle is this, is that without the gospel, your work may crush you. Without the gospel, without the good news of Jesus that you are loved in him, your work may crush you. That passage we just read starts with this, uh, this kind of order or admonition or call that, that Paul says to them, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then he gets down later to this business about whatever you do. Before he gets to the work stuff later about whatever you do, whatever work you find to do, um, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This is so pivotal. Why? In our world, in our world, we have to work to achieve our identities. We have to work to achieve our identities. I mean, even as a student growing up and, and even here at UK, I'm sure if you have a certain GPA, you're an honor student. 
If maybe on social media, you have a certain number of social media followers that you've worked hard by post, 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 and crazy things and risking your life by holding your head over you know, a ledge and taking a picture. All the silly things and stupid things we do to, to get attention. If you have a certain number of social media followers, you've worked to do that, then you're an influencer. Someday, maybe you'll be a lawyer, a doctor, a teacher. You'll, you'll have worked through many classes, graduate school, climbing the ranks in, in your profession, sitting for all these exams. Eventually, you, know, you will earn that. And that, that, I, that work for so many people in our world becomes their identity. It, it's an identity, but it's an identity that's an achievement. Because eventually, all of those things, all of those things, if your identity is in those things of whatever it is, as an honor student, as, a, uh, you know, as, a, as somebody who's aspiring to be an artist, or someday as a lawyer, a doctor, a teacher, whatever it is, those things can be taken from you. You can be fired from a job. Job fields can dry up and maybe there's no jobs and so you, you actually don't have a job to go to in this field. Your GPA falls, you're no longer an honor student, your social media followers leave, you're no longer a, a, a quote unquote influencer. If you seek for your identity, the base of your identity to be found in the achievements that you have in life, the work that you do, then you will be crushed. This pressure to perform will exhaust you because one of two things will happen, one of two things that you will, you will actually have some success. You'll have success. That you'll do really well and it'll go to your head. You, you'll do really well to go to your head and you'll become prideful. And you'll think, man, I'm really all that. And, and then you'll have to, keep, to continue to work to keep up with that. You'll be proud of yourself, but you'll know in the back of your head, I've gotta keep going. I've gotta come up with the, new, the next new thing. I've gotta, I've gotta show my boss uh, the next way I can impress my boss. Or I've gotta you know, land that next client so I've got more money coming in. All those things you'll do really well and you'll think of yourself really highly, but you'll know deep down that, that you're only a step away from losing it. So you'll do really well and it'll all go to your head or you'll do really poorly and it'll go to your heart. Uh, Tim Keller's great, it, it, it just so instructive on this for me. You'll do really well and it'll go to your head and you'll become prideful or you'll do really poorly and it'll go to your heart because you'll just feel like, man, I, I, I tried to do this thing. I poured my all into it. I laid my life before it and said, I'm giving my hours and my time and everything and I'm, I'm trying to put my identity in this thing and it didn't work out. And now I'm left with a sense of worthlessness. And this is where the gospel is so key. Remember we said without the gospel, your work may crush you. The gospel is so key because we as Christians, when we come through that way with Jesus, when we say, Jesus, my identity is in you, that Jesus, I don't want the, the markers of the world. The ultimate thing for me is I want my identity to rest in you. What we find is our identity is not earned, it's gifted. It's a gifted identity that we don't have to work to achieve. It, we don't achieve it through our moral accomplishments. We, we don't impress God with how good we are and say, okay, yeah, now, now I love you. It, it's not how many, you know, your impressive spiritual resume. It's not how many Bible verses that you memorize, anything like that. Memorizing Bible verses are good, but it's not why God loves you. There was a writer recently who wrote a piece in the New York Times, and he was talking about his sense of vocation, his sense of calling. And he said that as a writer, he recognized that he had let that become basically the, the largest part of his identity. People said, hey, what do you do? You know, I'm a writer. And, and, and it became even more than a what type of question. It became a who question. Who are you? I'm a writer. And he said the problem with it is, and again, so far as I know, not, not a Christian. He said, that, but he's reflecting because he's feeling the, the, the pinch and the tension here. He said, the problem is, is that because my identity is so tied up as a writer, I can't even be the best writer 
that, that I could possibly be. Because he said, when I go, you know, part of the writing process, part of so many job processes, you have to sit down and evaluate your own work and try to get better at it. And he said, I, I would sit down and try to read something that I had just written. And I had to tell myself it was great. I couldn't look at myself and go, you know, it, it's okay. It, it could stand some improvement. Because if I told myself that it wasn't great, if I wasn't doing the best, if, if it wasn't like, man, that's an amazing sentence, paragraph, story, article I just wrote, if I couldn't say that, that I was saying something not just about that piece, that, that piece he had worked on, he was saying something about himself. That he had let his work become his identity. That that was the base of who he was. And it cost him. Here, here's a true thing in life. And I, I hope that you don't find this out the hard way, but I will give you a truth and, and I hope uh, that you do not find this out uh, someday. Maybe it'll be a few short years, maybe it'll be many years, but, but this is the truth. Is that the loneliest moment, the loneliest moment that you will experience in all of your life is when you have just experienced what you thought would bring you the ultimate and it's let you down. The loneliest moment of all, all of life is when you've just experienced, you've just gotten that job promotion, you've just you know, gotten that big pay raise, you've just you know, won some prestigious award in your work or whatever the accomplishment is that you're going after. And you've just, and you've set all your hopes, all your dreams, you have put so much weight into this thing and it just comes crashing down. And you realize that, that my happiness shouldn't have, have been put in that sort of thing. And this story is told over and over and over again. I, I talk to a lot of people as we do fundraising, as you know, to kind of support the ministries around CSF because, man, God, God gave us his grace freely. We didn't do anything to earn it. And so we want to try to offer everything that we can for, for free around CSF. I know Feast, uh, we're asking people for a $30 kind of, hey, if you can help us out to cover some of the costs, great. If you can't, then just come on for free. We, God's grace is free. But in, in the fundraising work that we do to pay for things around here, I meet so many many people, especially people a little bit later in life, who have had some business success. And they go, hey, and they have a reputation for being generous. And so, you know, I tell them about CSF and invite them to be a part of it. And so many of them tell me that I wish I hadn't chased and tried to make my work into an idol. I wish I hadn't chased it. You look at the lives of like Jeff Bezos, who recently announced that he's stepping away from Amazon. Bill Gates in, in the middle of you know, his career kind of with, uh, with Microsoft saying, hey, I'm going to start focusing on some other things. And, and both of these men, the height of their success, more money than you could ever hope to spend, recognize that there's more to life than leading a global company, than having all this money. They wanted to try to, to seek out uh, something more than just trying to have their identity in the work that they've got. I don't know if any of you all, do you all follow YouTube channel people? Are you all YouTube people? Or I know Instagrams, obviously, but anybody have a YouTube problem? My wife says I do. I mean, she's like, uh, yeah, I, I have a YouTube problem. I, and I've got channels I follow and this sort of thing. One channel that I follow is a guy who does bushcraft stuff. Do you all know what bushcraft is? You kind of, you're just, uh, you go out in the woods, you've got maybe a pocket knife and some string, and you're like, okay, how do I build a shelter for the night? This kind of thing. And uh, there's this guy I follow, and, and uh, I, I don't think I'm officially subscribed, but, but YouTube knows I'm a sucker for his videos. And so they throw it up in my, my algorithm all the time. And, and, I, and I watch the, these videos uh, of how he does this stuff in, in the bush. So if I'm ever in the middle of nowhere with just a knife and a string, I'll know what to do. Uh, but uh, he, he's, he's got a relatively decent sized channel, about 500,000 or so followers. And recently I was watching him in a video and at the end of the video, he, he's looking straight in the video and he's just, and he's thanking his viewers. He's thanking the people who subscribe to his channel. And he, and he just said, 
for, for my subscribers out there, I want you all to know I'm so thankful for you because without you, I'm nothing. And man, it just, it just hit me in such a, such, a, such a strong way as I heard this. You know, this large man, he had been in the, the army, had been in the military where he had learned a lot of these skills and now he's just kind of teaching and showing them on YouTube. This, this big, strong guy is going, you know what, my, my identity, because he's been doing this now for a few years, has got a few hundred thousand followers. Without you, I'm nothing. That, that my identity, his identity, is tied up in this. His identity is tied up in how many subscribers he gets, the accomplishments that he has on his YouTube channel, how many people like the videos and pass them on, and how many views it gets and all of that. But here's the thing. The gospel says that you're already everything without any single accomplishment. You have been saved by grace through faith. It's not by works, accomplishments, money, anything that any Wall Street investment broker could, could brag about, a social media influencer could brag about, a nonprofit leader or pastor could boast about. You don't bring anything to this. You are invited. Your deepest and best identity you could ever be is that you are loved by your heavenly father and you are a son, you are a daughter of the king. That is where our identity starts, not in our work. Because if we start with peace, and that's where Paul starts this passage, let the peace of Christ reign in you. If we start with a peace-filled gift, if we start with the peace-filled gift of our identity being in Christ, then it ends in peace. But if you start by trying to have your identity be out of the, the fruit and the effort of your work, it'll end in exhaustion. Second point here, second principle of, of if, we're gonna, if we're gonna live out the call that God's given us in the world and, and to, to use our gifts and purposes, the second principle is this, is that work is a good thing. Work is a good thing. And just, just a couple things uh, about this principle. Work is a good thing. I think a lot of us look and we go, hey, I'd really like to take a long vacation, right? And by long vacation, you mean about 45 years. Is, would, that, would that be accurate for some of you? Like, yes, uh, wake me up uh, on a beach somewhere in about 50 years. That sounds like a great life. That will not be a great life. You will be atrophied. You'll just dissolve into the sand there after a while. But, uh, but work is a good thing. Genesis, that, that story of Genesis, in fact, I've thought before, like a great book for just college students would be just read the first three chapters of Genesis, just write a little book about, hey, what all is going on here? And actually, you could write hundreds of books over it. But one of the things you see in Genesis is before sin ever entered the picture, before Adam and Eve disobeyed God and that, that, that relationship with God it was, was, was ripped apart and, and it had effects for them personally, it had effects for all of creation. Before that happened, before that happened, work was in the picture. God said, hey, Adam and Eve, this is a great place I've given you. Why don't you take all these wonderful animals that are here, these beautiful creations of mine, and you know what? I could give them their names because I'm God, but you know what? I'm, I'm going to let you have the fun of that. I'm going to let you have the fun of coming up with a name for an elephant, a giraffe, a hippopotamus, a, you know, a, 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 you know, a largemouth bass, you know, whatever it is. God is saying, you have work to do, and it's great work, and it's fun work, and, and you get to enjoy this. You know, he even says, hey, you, I don't know if any of you like to garden. Uh, you know, hey, you get to work in this garden, too. You get to tend to it. There is work in the picture. In fact, one of the, one of the best uh, sermon series I ever heard was from uh, Fred Turner. Do you all know Fred? Fred teaches around here some. Um, but Fred did this retreat for us one year, and, and it was kind of like, you know, I think it was a winter retreat, actually, in Gatlinburg. And Fred, which next year, come on, COVID vaccine and COVID numbers going down, fall retreat, winter retreat, let's go. Feast, actually, even before then. But, um, but Fred had this message where he, the message series was, it was three messages, and it was each one word through Genesis, and it was called Two Naked Farmers. 
two naked farmers. I still remember this years later. Most sermons, probably this one, hopefully you'll remember a point or two, but I still remember that whole series because he said, this is what God meant for creation. Two naked farmers. Two, we're meant for community. We're meant for relationship. That's who God made us to be. Naked, we're meant for intimacy of this deep life of love and connection. But farmers, we're meant for work. Work is not a bad thing. Even in the Genesis narrative, you see God himself working for six days and then resting. But what happened is the fall, the fall happens. Sin happens. And the way the world is supposed to work gets ripped apart. And so that, that stuff that was meant to bring us joy and purpose and fulfillment and, and co, co-working with God, even in creation, naming the animals, tending to the garden. Now, you know, we get, we get stuck by the thorns. Now we have to work diligently and, and labor over, over the land and just hope that maybe something springs up out of it eventually. Or even in childbirth, watching, watching Shelby go through uh, th- the, the childbirth process of three children, watching her be hospitalized in, in every one of those pregnancies, watching her throw up 27 times in one night, uh, I think was the record uh, that I saw, uh, which is why I let no one use the phrase around me that we're pregnant. One, only women can be pregnant. Two, you, men don't throw up you know, 27 times in a night. So, um, but but let, even bringing out a child into the world, Because of the fall, this kind of work has become labored. It's become difficult. But that was not God's original intent. You know, one of the things we live across the street from my my wife's grandfather, my children's great-grandfather, he's 95 years old. He has work in his life at 95. He goes out and helps neighbors. He helps us. Our, our car is, uh, is, you know, we have to take it to the mechanic and leave it there. We need somebody to drive us back. He does it. Just this past week, I was hanging up a, a basketball net so that, you know, Caleb, we've got some trees over in our yard and the, his balls keep kind of getting over in the, the pine trees. And so we were stringing up a net that would catch the balls and he wouldn't have to get in under the trees with the ball. Who's out there helping me with it? Shelby's 95-year-old granddad. He's incredibly sharp mentally, physically. And part of that is because even though he retired from his his actual job about 30-some years ago now, he still has meaningful work to do. And the good of that work helps keep him going, helps keep him sharp, helps keep him alive. Work is a good thing. Third thing is all work can be God's work. The third principle here, all, all work can be God's work. Some of you, you know, may aspire to be pastors. Some of you may aspire. I know there's people who come through CSF and go, hey, I feel like I want to give my life to vocational ministry. And that's great. I mean, that's what I've chosen to do with my life and, and what I felt like God has called me to do with my life. But here's the reality is that 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 is only one way of honoring God. Yes, that's a way of honoring God. But think back to that Colossians passage that we read earlier, is that it doesn't say whatever you do when you're inside of a church, whatever you do when you're preparing a Bible study, whatever you're doing when you've got a, you know, you're baptizing someone, you've got, when you're, whatever it is, it's whatever you do, everything that you do, it can be honoring to God. Listen, listen to this quote. This is Martin Luther. Martin Luther, the famous reformer 500 years ago, 510 years ago, whatever it's been now since he nailed those theses to the door there in Wittenberg. And, and Martin Luther, who was challenging this idea of his day, but it's an idea even 500 years later that we see, is that, you know what, if you're, if you're part of the church, if you're one of those workers, uh, then you're doing God's work. You're part of the spiritual estate, as he would call it. But if not, you're part of the temporal estate, and your work really doesn't matter as much. Listen to this quote by Martin Luther and what he says is he says, it has been devised that the Pope, bishops, priests, and monks are called the spiritual estate, 
while princes, lords, artisans, and peasants are part of the temporal estate. This is an artful lie and hypocritical device, but let no one be afraid by it. And that for this reason, that all Christians are truly of the spiritual estate, and there is no difference among them save of the office alone. And what he's saying is is that whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, you can do it to honor God. Abraham Kuyper, this famous Dutch theologian, had this great phrase that he would reiterate again and again and again, where he said that in all of creation, Kuyper says in all of creation, there's not a single square inch in all of creation where Jesus doesn't say, mine. There's not a single square inch in all of creation where Christ doesn't say, mine. And that means in everything that you do, you can honor God that in what you choose to do, I mean, think about it, the way God chooses to even fuel our words, and this is, Luther's so good at pointing this out. He says, you know, God promises in the scripture to, to provide for us, to give us, to give us you know, food and safety and those things, but how does God choose to do it? I mean, God can just make food uh, spring from the ground. You know, he, he, he made humans from the dust of the earth. He could, he could bring humans out, you know, into the world through, through other means than what he does. But what he does is he uses people. He uses farmers who go out and, and, and farm the land. He uses milkmaids, as Luther calls them, to go out and milk the cattle. And, and he does this, and Luther calls them, he says, all of these random people, these, these milkmaids, these farmers, he calls them the fingers of God. Or in another place, he calls them the mask of God because he says they are bringing us food, sustenance, life, and they're bringing, these are gifts of God and they come through these people. And so whatever you do, whether it's milking cows, whether it's farming, whether it's you know, photography, videography, writing stories, you can honor God with your work. If you're a pilot, you know, land the plane well. Getting people there safely, caring for people is a way of honoring God. If you're a baker, bake bread well. A a, a good meal to enjoy bread, feasting. We watched Hazel feast on all kinds of food earlier. You know, that that can be a gift from God. If you're a violinist, then, then make people just enjoy that moment of just letting that music wash over them as you play your violin well. If you're a playwright, a screenwriter, a novelist, a poet, you know, whatever you do, ask God, what stories do you want me to tell? How can I honor you with the stories that I'm telling? You can honor God in everything that you do because all work can be God's work. Last principle, fourth principle is this, and it kind of ties in with that last principle that all work is God's work, is that fourthly, work is a way of loving others. Work is a way of loving others. You know, even just this week uh, in bed uh, at night reading Prince Caspian. Anybody read Prince Caspian when they were younger? The, the Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, and, and some of those stories, and seven books, and we're in bed, and I, I'm in there. The, my two older kids, they've already read it, and, but Miriam hasn't, and so she's not allowed to watch the movie yet because, you know, I'm one of those mean parents. You have to read the book before we do that, but that's a pretty long book for her to read at, at seven years old. So, um, so, you know, I'm reading through that, and I'm so thankful I'm so thankful that C.S. Lewis used his artistic gifts to tell these great stories, that I get to, I get to sit there and, and spend this wonderful time of sharing this great story, Miriam learning some really cool truths as she reads through Prince Caspian alongside of her dad, that, that C.S. Lewis, in using his artistic gifts in the way that he did, was loving others. He wasn't writing a sermon. 
He wasn't leading a Bible study. He wasn't doing those things you know, that we think of as what it is to love others. He was just being the best artist that he could. And he honored God and he loved others through doing that. If you're a builder who builds homes where families can live, that is a way of loving others. If you're a teacher who's teaching children how to read, how to, how to think, and, and all those things, it's a way of loving others. If you're a lawyer who's helping to pursue justice, that's a way of loving others. Maybe you're a mom or a dad who's, who's loving, you know, just loving children someday. That's obviously a way of loving others. Maybe it's even you're a neighbor to someone, a neighbor someday or maybe even a neighbor now. Because it isn't just vocation, hear me, vocation isn't simply about the job you have. The call that God has in your life, yes, it may have to do, and I'm sure it probably will for many of you have to do with where you get a paycheck, but that is only part of the picture. Because the larger part of the picture is this larger question of life is, God, how can I do everything in word or deed to honor you? How can I do it? How can I be a good neighbor? How can I love the people God has put in my life? I might sum it up like this. If you can't look, if you can't look at a janitor, if you can't look at a janitor and see that the work they do in the economy of God honors God and loves people, if you can't look at a janitor and see that the work they do honors God and loves people, then I don't think that you have this Christian, this biblical understanding of work, this understanding of work where we don't have to achieve things to earn our identity. God gives us our identity. Our work is then that free expression out of that identity that God has given us to say, God, I'm loved, so now I can love others. And part of that loving others is using the gifts you've given me in whatever ways you give me the opportunity to use them. Work Listen, if work, when it moves from being a master in our lives, when we don't have to earn our identity through our work, but our identity comes through just being saved by grace because God loves us, it moves from being a cruel master to a means of service. Any of you all ever eat a Deviate? Do you all know the restaurant Deviate? Yeah, a few of you, Saul Good. You all know Saul Good as well? Saul Good Deviate, Rob and Diane Perez. You all know, anybody know Rob and Diane here? Yeah, great. Yeah, the Perez's are a great, great couple, an amazing couple. And Rob, Rob's story, and he, he said it was fine even for me to share this tonight. You know, their, their story, Rob's story in particular, was he found himself, you know, strung out. He's like, I had tried every drug you could possibly imagine. You name the drug, I tried it. And he said, at, you know, I was in my, in my 20s, about 25 years old, and I was just chasing all this stuff. And he said, man, I, I realized that, man, I've got, something's got to change. So he goes to, he goes to rehab, you know, and, and he, you know, gets, gets off drugs. His life gets cleaned up. He, he starts, he goes into the business world, and, you know, of course, the business world, like, man, chase profit, chase, you know, the, the, the expansion opportunity, chase, you know, how, how do we make more money, those kinds of things. And Rob just said, you know, I realized that God wanted something other for my life and my work. Yes, he wanted me to, to make great food and, and, and have a place where families could come in and, and just enjoy time together. Maybe some of you have even been on a date, uh, a potential family, I suppose. Uh, you know, he wanted to have spaces where people could come in and enjoy and, and, and just celebrate life there. But one of the really unique expressions, if you've eaten a Deviate, I don't know if you know the story behind Deviate, but, but it's, it's actually Rob's story of saying, you know what, God changed my life. God changed my life in so many ways, whether it be from drug addiction to, or from somebody who was just chasing profits and what can we do and how can we build this business. God changed my life to seeing my life, my ultimate identity is in him. 
And now I just get to love people. And one of the ways that he's loving people through his work is through this restaurant Deviate. And it's for those people who want to deviate from the path they have been on, Deviate. They want to deviate from the path they've been on. And so what Rob and Dan do, they specialize in, in finding people who are coming out of rehab situations and really tough situations where they go, hey, I know it's going to be tough for you to find a job. It's going to be tough for you to find a, a work environment where they welcome you in with open arms because they're going to be looking at maybe a criminal record. Uh, your, your path, hey, wait, where, where have you been the last six months? Why haven't you been working? Well, I've been in rehab, all these sorts of things. And Rob is saying, I want to serve these people because it's a way of loving them. Work is a way of loving others. So lastly, and I said I would fly through these and I, I promise I'll keep my word here. I wanna give you all six quick questions. Maybe they'll cover this on the podcast tomorrow um, you know, that, uh, that, that comes up on Fridays where we kind of talk some more about things we've talked about at Synergy on Thursday nights. But I wanna give you six quick questions to ask yourself. When you, if you're asking, particularly I ask if there are seniors in here, but it's not just for seniors. It is for anyone in here when you are saying, what is my vocation? Because here's the thing about vocation. I don't know if you know this or not, but vocation actually comes from the Latin word vocare, which, which simply means to call. You can hear it in our word vocal, you know, vocal cords, vocal, to call, vocare, vocation, vocal. You are answering a call. And these are the questions, if we're to answer the call of God in our lives and say, hey, you know what, I love you guys. You're mine, that's who you are. You don't have to earn your identity. Your identity's in me. And I'm calling you now to go and take that love, to take those gifts I've given you and go use them. And these are the six questions Gordon Smith uh, gives, so helpful. Um, Gordon Smith gives these six questions that I wanna give to you all tonight. And the first question is simply this. What is God doing in the world? If I'm going to discern my vocation, if I'm going to discern what it is that God wants me to do with my life, the first question I think you need to ask is, what is God doing in the world? In other words, I need to know the big picture view of God's heart and activity. And really, really short, the summation of the Bible is this. Creation happens. It's good. Fall happens. It's bad. And it warps it. Redemption happens. Jesus comes and says, you know what? I'm going to redeem that fallen stuff. And we're going to start making, and this is the last part, new creation. We're going to take creation, fall, redemption. And now Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the, the presence and power of the church, through Christians all over the world, I'm going to bring about this new creation. We're going to start setting to rights what went wrong over here. Creation, fall, redemption, and now new creation, where we get to use our gifts in the same way that God looked at Adam and Eve and said, I want you all in on this. I want you naming the animals. I want you tending this garden. He is now looking at us and saying, I want you to be a part of the new creation. I want you to be a part of taking away injustice and pain and suffering and people, all the lies that people believe, sharing my truth and my goodness and my love with them. God, that is the big picture reality of what God is doing in the world. And you need to have at least some kind of understanding of that if you're going to discern your vocation rightly. The second, the second question you need to ask is, who am I? And I'll just simply say this about who am I. Self-knowledge isn't everything, but it isn't nothing. Discerning your vocation isn't simply about looking inside and going, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? What do I want to do? Because then I think your vocation, the temptation becomes there is it becomes about serving myself rather than serving others in the presence of the world and giving God's gifts away. But we do need to ask questions. If I was standing up here about you know, 30 minutes ago singing, 
bad, bad vocational decision for me. People don't want to hear me sing. My wife, even my kids make fun of me. My daughter, Claire, my 13-year-old, often says, you know, Dad, can we just put duct tape over your mouth when you sing? Oh, thank you, Claire. I love you too, honey. Um, but, you know, we need to have some degree of self-knowledge. You know, if you are absolutely, you just, you're like, man, I hate to be up in front of people. Decent chance maybe God isn't calling you to teach, although I've known plenty of pastors who would say, hey, I hate getting up on stage, I'm a, I'm a huge introvert, uh, but God told me to do it, and so I do it. But I do think as we discern, asking who am I, what do I think about those gifts, having some degree of self-knowledge. Third question, what stage of life am I in? What stage of life am I in? Because age often matters in decision makings. You can answer things differently in your 20s than you can in your 30s, 40s, 50s, and so on. You can answer things differently. The stakes are, are just different. I, I, I don't want to say they're higher, but they're, they're just different. When I make a decision now at, at my stage of life, where I am at, I've got to make decisions that I know impact Shelby, my wife, and impact Claire, Caleb, Miriam. It's just part of the reality of where I am. I love this quote. I wish we had it on the screens, but I want to give it to you anyways because I think it's so important for you to hear, especially for people who are in their late teens and 20s about what you're going to do with your life. And it's from this French sociologist named Jacques Ellul, and he says this, remember your creator during your youth when all possibilities lie open before you, and you can offer all your strength intact for his service. The time to remember is now, not after you've become senile and paralyzed. Then it's not too late for your salvation. God can save you at any stage of your life, even on your very deathbed in your 90s. It's not too late for your salvation then, but it's too late then for you to serve as the presence of God in the midst of the world and creation. You must take sides earlier when you can actually make choices, when you have many paths opening at your feet before the weight of necessity overwhelms you. So ask these questions now of God. Fourthly, what are the circumstances of life and the world around me? What are the circumstances of the life and world around me? Historic context matters. C.S. Lewis said uh, a lot of the books he wrote, he didn't mean to write. He wrote a book called The Problem of Pain where he dealt with, you know, hey, what, what, we, we have pain and suffering in our world. Where is God and all that? And he said, the reason I wrote that book is because I saw some really technical, super theological stuff and, and I saw some stuff that was overly simplistic and I tried to write something that was in the middle of people who didn't want overly simple answers but didn't want, you know, seven syllable words, uh, you know, strung throughout the pages. And he said, I just saw there was a need, and so I did it. And, and he said the same with some of his other books as well. And so we ask, God, what are the circumstances in my life and world that you may be calling me to, to speak into or to live into? Fifthly, what cross is there for me to bear? What cross is there for me to bear? Because any, any vocational choice you make, there will be tough parts to your job. I used to tell people, if you enjoy like 71.23% of your job, you have your dream job. If you find a job that's 71.23%, then you, you should probably stay in that job forever, possibly. Some of these other questions not, notwithstanding. But there are going to be parts of any job you don't enjoy. There are going to be tough parts. There are going to be bosses you don't like, tasks you don't like. And we have to face that because Jesus himself says, daily take up your cross and follow me. And that's part of, of if you're going to answer the call of God in your life, there's going to be tough parts, crosses to bear. The last one is this, is that what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? If you're going to answer the call of God in your life of saying, hey, you know what? Your identity, that, that's all settled. But I want you to join me in this work. And you need to ask the question, what am I afraid of? 
and be honest. I know that for guys out there, it can be tough for, for guys sometimes to maybe admit, you know, hey, that we have fears and that sort of thing. I mean, yeah, in, in theory, we get it. But when you really start down and go, what am I really afraid of? Because the reality is that the obstacles inside are often bigger than the obstacles outside of us. The obstacles inside of us are often bigger than the obstacles outside of us. Don't let fear drive you. Instead of letting fear drive you, let grace lead you. You've been called, you are loved, you are forgiven, you've been given gifts. You don't have to earn your identity, it is a free gift. And so I just wanna challenge you tonight and, and to invite you, not just in a challenge, but to invite you into this amazing freedom of just setting out and going, God, I don't have to earn my identity. I don't need people to be impressed with me. I don't need to pick a profession that's gonna earn me a ton of money so that I can have a nice car, a nice house, and those sorts of things so that people can go, ooh, that person. I don't need to do that because my ultimate identity is in you. And now I get the chance to go out with my father and to experience your love, to, to let your love just continue to dig down in me is I use the gifts you've given me to love God and love the world. That's the journey I wanna invite you all into tonight. And I hope even as the band comes out now to sing, that you just let some of these words, let God use whatever it is tonight to help set you on that path. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, uh, I just pray, I just had such a, such a, a passion in my heart tonight for wanting, wanting the people in this room to hear the, the opportunity that they have, the opportunity to just say, Lord, I just laid down trying to have my identity rest in anything other than you. Lord, if there are people in this room who feel like that, that they, have, they have just messed up too much, that you, you, you could not use them that you don't love them, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would come even in these next few songs and speak words into their, their heart and minds and ears to say, you are loved, you are mine. And Lord, I pray for those people, for every person in this room, that as we hear those words, that we would then step out. We would step out into freedom with you and go, God, I'm loved, I'm accepted, I'm on your team, I'm in your family, and let's go out, and I want to be about my father's business, and the freedom and fun of all of that. And so, Lord, I just, yeah, I pray, I pray for this room tonight, I pray they get this now, I pray that they not chase down and waste decades of their life because the decades will go on and will go by, that they not waste the decades of their life and come to be 40, 50, 60, 70, whatever it is, and realize that they've chased nothingness, they've chased after the wind. And so, Lord, just please, tonight, do a work in hearts and minds here that they would set their heart and set their mind and set their face on the things that you would have for them and set their feet on that path. Welcome back. Hope you guys enjoyed that message from Brian. Uh, I'm here with my co-host, Rachel, and our guest for the week, Lindsay. Hey, guys. What's up? <laughs> and we're just gonna, you know, I think that the vibe that we're looking for out of this podcast is just some friends in a coffee shop 
uh, talking about the message from last night. So to take you in the room right now while we're recording this podcast, all of us have our coffee. We do. It's I a, think that's perfect. It's a two cup of coffee kind of morning. Um, so yeah, these are just some friends in a coffee shop. So sit down. Maybe maybe go make yourself a cup of coffee right now. And uh, we'll, we'll talk around this message a little bit. So Rachel... What we think? What were some big, uh, some big takeaways for you from the message? Um, so I just like love that Brian talked about this, especially when we think about college students, because a lot of what we think about when we're in college is our vocation. Like, what are we going to do after college? That's what everyone asks us about. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? If you're a senior out there, you're probably so tired of that question. You probably hated Thanksgiving. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. You're done hearing the question. What are you doing next year? Because Sometimes you do have an exciting answer to tell. Sometimes you're like, I'm still figuring it out, grandma. So lay off (laughs) a little bit, you know, but I think um, Brian just talking about like what it looks like to live into like God's calling within our vocation is so essential to our walk with the Lord because our faith isn't going to end when we leave CSF. Like we continue in ministry after this. And so wait for real. Yes. Like it's a whole life embodiment. And so um, I'm reading this book called the call by Oz Guinness. Um, I had to read it for class the past couple of weeks. And it, if you guys like really want to go deeper into what Brian was talking about, this book is literally Brian's message continued. Um, and it just talks about call and vocation and how those should actually be synonymous in our lives. Like we, our calling should be our vocation or our vocation should be our calling. It's like that Latin word that Brian talked about yesterday, um, how it meant to call um, is the word that vocation comes from. And so um, I just loved what Brian had to say. I think it's so essential for seniors and for all of you out there who are younger, who are still developing that mindset of like, what am I being called to do? Um, and just like another side note, there are two callings in our lives. There's our primary calling and our secondary calling. And our primary calling is to be disciples of Jesus. And so, and to like be on mission for others. And so that is always just going to be like our forefront. And then what job we do comes secondarily to that. Yeah. And I thought Brian did a really good job of like setting that up of like who you are comes first, but what you do still matters. So Lindsay, what's it out to you? Yeah, actually, literally what you just said of kind of recognizing your identity first and knowing who you are, especially of like who you are in Christ, who you are as a beloved daughter or son of God, of our Father. And so I just even remember like scripture of where God as the Father is like with Jesus in his ministry before Jesus even did a thing. God was like, this is my beloved son, like with whom I am well pleased. Yeah. And so it wasn't something that he had to earn and if Jesus, who literally was perfect, did not have to earn this from his father, why do we always feel this pressure to strive and to earn and to just work the hardest to do the best and to be the most successful at things if that wasn't even expected from our like perfect savior? And so I just, that was a really thing that stuck yeah. out to me of knowing that because I'm loved, I can go about these things. I can like work for the Lord and do things for him, um, with him. And that it's not just me going alone, but remembering who I am and stepping forward, no matter if it turns into failure or success. Yeah, that's a good word. Um, I Just what you're saying was just making me think about like this constant call in scripture to be countercultural. Like we are supposed to be in the, wait, what is it? With, wait, in the culture, but not of it. In, that's, but not that's, of. Yes, that's like the second Peter thing. We are in the culture, we are surrounded by, by it, but we're not of it. And the culture does tell us like, success is what gives you identity. And that's especially the message that's given in for college students. Like 
what your grades are, um, all the clubs you're in, all these things you do is what defines you. And I think Brian hit that so well yesterday. And so what we're saying really is just so countercultural. Um, and that's just like how scripture calls us to live. Agreed. It's very much that set apart life. And sometimes that's really hard. And it's hard to be like, dang, I live on a college campus in in culture. And I really don't want to do that. And even we have our own ideas of like Christian culture too. That sometimes we have to break away from those as well. Yeah. I think for me, I mean, I think like where you find your identity is also just like where you like find like your love. And I think that um, I loved Brian talking about work as free expression. Um, and so when we are like sure in our identity that we are beloved um, in Christ, independent of anything that we have done or will do, um, he said, you know, I, if, now I know that I'm loved by God so I can go and love others. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was a perfect picture. Um, and God's even been reminding me lately that he's just been like, you know, I'm going to like, redeem all things and my kingdom is going to come whether you're on board or not. Um, Which is like a sobering reality because I think sometimes I can be like, shoot, like, you know, God needs me to be doing this ministry and like bringing his kingdom come. But like, honestly, I mean, he's going to do it regardless if I'm on board or not. But honestly, that's a really cool thing because in that way, it's like, okay, God, like you're going to do this. I'm going to hop on board. Uh, And in that way, like in some ways life with God is just like this adventure where we're just like, God, like, what do you have before me? Um, I thought that was one of the cool things where he got into his questions, which I'm into in a second, but that quote, I don't even remember who exactly it was from, but talking about how, um, when you're young, you just have all these paths before you, um, before your life is like burdened by necessity. And I just loved that idea of like, you know, right now in this season where we're, you know, college age, 20 somethings, like everything's just before us. We're just like, God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And there's like, just something exciting in that, in that, um, because we are so like, if we are grounded in the fact that we're loved by God, then like there's a ton of different ways that we can honor him with our work and uh, partner with him and bringing his kingdom come. Yeah. And kind of going back to something you just said too, about like expression in this adventure with God. Um, I just loved kind of this random thing that Brian was talking about of how Adam, like the fun of naming animals and like, I know we know like the creation, Genesis, maybe you do, maybe you don't go back to the beginning, you know, y'all Genesis, it's great. Throwing it back. Um, but I just love that of like, it was a fun thing. It wasn't this obligation that he had to fulfill and was just like, oh God, like another thing you have yep. for me to do. But like he took delight in it. And it also just was a mutual delight of like God delighting in Adam and Adam delighting in him and like the fun that they got to do together. I just loved that like, Sometimes I have a misconstrued view of work and some of that's because of my parents and them working all the time and being gone all the time. Um, And sometimes it's just like seeing people in jobs now that they're like, I hate my job. Um, But work can be a good thing and it can be a fun thing. And that's not bad to want like something that is fun in it too. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's awesome. I think that, um, yeah, I think it was a really, really good word, really timely word. And I hope that, um, it was that for you all as well. And I think that um, you may have heard if you were there on Thursday night or if you just listened to the audio, Brian, give us a little shout out. This <laughs> podcast is like legit now, but also I just feel this burden because Brian said that we're going to talk about these questions. He posed six questions at the end, which is a lot of questions. And he's like, that's a lot to talk about. Yeah. He's I, got high expectations for us. Yeah. I think he thinks this is like as long as his message. And we're like, 
on episode three right now. <laughs> and like, you know, Brian's like the guy. And so like, I don't want this podcast to get canceled. So I feel like we should probably talk about the questions. Yeah, I think I think we have to. Okay, so, so question number one uh, is what is God doing in the world? Um, so just talking about this idea of how we need to um, just see even like the, the overarching picture of scripture uh, and what God's plan is for humanity. Is either one of you kind of wanted to speak to that a little bit? Hmm. Lindsay, you want it? Um, you, just I can, think you, you just have like a thinking face on. Let me, I'll mention a few things. Y'all can like jump in if you want. Uh, I don't know. I'm just thinking about how like even shout out to some of my friends, you know, um, fellow staff here, um, Aaron Despinette and Katie Green, they just got back from being on a like month long trip or, or they kind of got back a while ago, but <laughs> they went on a trip um, to Iraq. And so just going there and hearing some of their experience and just even seeing of like, being the hands and feet of Jesus there and coming back and seeing it here. And like also lately just staff, we've been talking about um, evangelism and what that looks like um, in different cultures. And so, I don't know, it just makes me more aware of like, dang, there is more to Christianity than what is just happening here in the U.S., but globally around the world um, and the overall arching, like you said, of the gospel and just of the picture of the Bible and around the world in different ways. Yeah. Um, just like off of that, we, I've just been learning a lot about the majority world. That's kind of like what the term they're using now for like the, um, church outside of Western culture. So like, um, just like the Eastern world and everything that that encompasses outside of Western Christianity. And oftentimes we can look at Western Christianity and be like, we are falling apart. <laughs> Because we kind of are. And we just get discouraged because we're like, Christianity is dying. But it's like, no, it's dying maybe in the West. But in the majority church, it is thriving. Mm -hmm. Like the gospel is being shared. People are coming to know the Lord. And it is just like growing. So like, although the Western world is kind of like declining in faith, the majority world is like magnifying. Like it is going up. And so... That is just something so exciting. And so I think we, like, kind of like what you're saying, like, I think we should just have this, like, global mentality when we're thinking about um, God's mission for the world because we just get so confined to, like, what's our culture, but there are there's so much more out there. Um, yeah, so what you're saying just made me think about that. Yeah, I mean, since the moment that the world was created, God's been in the process of redeeming all things to himself. And that continued yeah. through Christ and that's continuing to the modern day now. So we see that out in the world. We see that God's plan is to redeem all things. Uh, and then the second question is, who am I? And how do we find our role in that? Um, so in this, I'm just gonna keep talking about this book because it just is yeah. so applicable. <laughs> yes. But um, in the beginning of it, he just talks about the existential question, who am I that just like plagues our heart? Um, generation like it's just the question that's at our core like who am I and I think that's so important to understanding our calling uh, because we don't know what we're supposed to do or being called to do if we don't even know whose we are I think Lindsay kind of talked about this earlier like whose we are is so essential to understanding um, where we are going where we are being sent Um, and so I just love that he posed this question because if we are sitting here saying like I don't think that I am the Lord's like, or I'm like not allowing myself just to be fully the Lord's, then we're going to have some hardship in discerning our calling and um, just like going out well. 
Yeah, it even makes me think of a prompt that I've done before of um, like, it kind of has two parts, two questions. And the beginning is saying to God, God, who do you say that you are? And learning just the character of the Lord and like it's literally laid out in scripture, just searching scripture, even of who he says that he is. Um, and then reflecting on like who he is in your life, who he has been, if he's been faithful, if he's been trustworthy um, and who he is presently. And then from that, you do the second part and saying, um, you ask back to God and be like, okay, God, who do you say that I am? And learning your identity. And I just think that is important of knowing God's identity and God's character first, and then knowing your own and asking that question of like, Lord, who am I? Who have you created me to be uniquely? Yeah. I really think even though that first question is what is God doing in the world? It's really a who question too. Mm -hmm. It's like really who is God? Because in what he's doing, we see the character of who he is. That's good. I like that. And so like, even in these questions, you know, talking about who before what, we're starting with who, but then we're going to get into some of the what. Um, so that next, what the first what question is, there's a third question where it says, what stage of life am I in? Uh, and I thought Brian did a really good job of speaking to this um, because he is, you know, of a gener- different generation with us and yeah. is married and does have a family and that kind of thing and was mm-hmm. able to speak to just some of like the practical, um, you know, circumstances that he's in to where like, you know, his decisions aren't solely affecting him anymore. Mm. Um, so I don't know if that uh, spoke good. to you all or what you all would say to, to students about that that question. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm now married. I got, well, Lane and I both got married somewhat recently. Yeah. And so I think we can relate to this in a different Shout way. Shout out COVID weddings. I know. Hard. <laughs> but, like, whenever I make a decision, like, I'm not in a stage of life where I'm single and I can just, like, discern the Lord's call and go to Africa and evangelize. Like, I have Ethan that I also, like, have to, like, um, consider. And we have to consider, like, callings together because our calling is no longer really individual. It's kind of joined in some ways. Um, And so that's, like, a new thing to even be thinking about for all— I know we have a lot of engaged couples out there. Yeah. Um, So that's, like, another even thought to have. And also, for all you single people out there, like, something to cherish um, that you— like. Oh, what is the scripture where Paul talks about singleness and how like it's almost like not better, but like there is just so much fruit to come from singleness because you don't have like a husband or a wife and children to answer to. You can just like go and evangelize yeah. um, as you were called. Yeah, and I feel like so much of college life can be um, restlessness around singleness, and there's just like comparison culture of like, oh, this person's in this relationship, like I want that so bad, and we feel like that's what we need, and so that even goes back to like. I don't know. When we know that we're loved by God, um, we don't need to chase, you know, that um, that kind of just like initial security in like another person. Um, and our relationship with, you know, our significant other is going to be a lot more healthy if we, you know, know that we are loved by God first and have that as our grounding. Um, but I say that to say that if we are grounded in that we're loved by God, then we're not going to be chasing and uncomfortable in our singleness. We're actually going to like use it to our advantage and use it to like further chase the kingdom. Yeah. And that's like what Paul did. Like he used it to his advantage. And now most of the new Testament was written by Paul or like his apostles, you know? And so like, there is just so much good in all the stages of life. But um, I just really wanted to highlight singleness and like that stage of life, because I think it's something to cherish. And we often, like Landon said, just like fall into comparison about it. So, yeah. uh, so then question four is, what are the circumstances of life and world around me? And I think the first thing that jumps to mind here is honestly just like discerning, like what burdens your heart? Mm-hmm. And because we see like a lot of brokenness in the world, but I think as we're discerning um, calling and mission and where we 
uh, are meant to serve and where we're meant to plug in and how we're meant to love um, this broken world. I think we have to look at like, what are just the unique things, the unique broken things that you see in our world that um, just burden your heart a little extra uh, and that you want to see um, God's kingdom come into? Um, I don't want to speak for you guys, but I would imagine, you know, just being here and being in college ministry, a huge piece of that is just like um, seeing how college students can be undercared for and how college is a season of life where, um, you know, people will stray away from faith. I think that's such a big part of why, you know, we're all here and why we're on staff at CSF and all of that. So uh, I don't know if either one of you want to, to speak at all to that. I think that's another one that we can fall into comparison pretty easily about because sometimes I think we see other people's callings and we're think, we think that they're so much more essential or just like a better calling mm-hmm. that they were given, you know? Um, but the Lord calls us all in different ways because there is so much brokenness. And so when we have like a strong passion for one of these brokenness, um, we— just like go and move into it, bring the gospel into that broken part of our world. Um, And one isn't better than the other, you know, like um, I'm just trying to think of other callings. Like if you're are called to go to people who live in like persecuted countries, that's amazing. If you are called to the poor in America, amazing. Like there are just so many broken circumstances in our world and all of them are, just beautiful callings that the Lord can give us. And I just want us to continue to fight against the comparison of like thinking one person is greater than another. Yeah, that's good. And then question five is what cross is there for me to bear? Um, kind of what are the the daily things uh, in front of us? Did either one of you kind of have anything that jumped out to you from this question? I think it is something definitely like seriously to think about. Um and it is like, yeah, to each person, like personally, what is your cross to bear? What is something that I think it does kind of really relate to the previous question um, of like, what is on your heart? Like what has been something that God has put on yours and like something that kind of, to me, they both tie together, at least personally. And I even just feel something like specifically for my family and like caring for them. And I know everybody has like a different family sitch and just trying to like discern what that is and how to love them best. Um But yeah, like personally, what is the cross for you to bear? Um, Yeah, we've all got something. And knowing that you're not carrying that cross alone, and it's not just a weight that is supposed to be put on you for you to bear until you squished. Um, But that like Jesus did die on a cross for you, carried the cross for you, and he's still walking with you no matter what your cross is to bear, even if that does look different from somebody else's. And I really do appreciate what Rachel said about comparison because that is such a big thing in ministry, outside of ministry, in this world in general. Um, and as I've, I've quoted to some people before, um, but comparison is the thief of joy. And I just remember that sometimes whenever the word comparison pops up. And so don't get down in the dumps either, even though it's a cross to bear. I know that sounds sometimes like a punishment, but finding joy in the cross, finding joy in the things that do burden your heart and saying like, God has given you this for a reason. And like Landon said earlier, even like everything is redeemable. And so things that may seem the heaviest can like have the most glory in it, most redemption in it. And God can shine the brightest through it. Um, I love what you, like the first image that came to my head whenever Landon asked this question was like, there's the image of Jesus bearing, like he literally carried the cross to his crucifixion. And so I'm really glad that you mentioned that because he, we don't carry crosses alone. 
So this question shouldn't be as scary as maybe it, it would initially sound like we carry it with Jesus, um, like the man who like came out of the crowd to help ca- Jesus carry that cross to the crucifixion. Um, and just like another word that just popped in my head as Lindsay was talking about comparison, like just in, even in between like vocational call and like like in ministry versus like in the workplace, Brian mentioned this, but like some of you out there are applying to staff or like some kind of like um, directly ministry focused job. And that's amazing. But for all of you who don't feel called to that, I don't want you to feel like your calling is lesser um, just because you're not called to come on staff or do anything else um, that's directly missional quote unquote, then I just don't think that that means that your calling is less effective to the world. That's good. All right. So we're almost there. Question number six is what are you afraid of? Everything. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, Lindsay, you have something? Yeah. um, This question, I don't know. It's been something that I have had to ask myself many times. And so I even just think of I know you were just talking about command staff and that's definitely not for everybody. And that is totally fine. If it were for everybody, like that would be wild. (laughs) Um, But even I just remember the time that I was in college and discerning throughout the years, whether I was a freshman or above or, you know, senior about to graduate. um, For me, that was feeling like, Hey, I'm going to come on staff. But a lot of it was asking myself, Lindsay, what are you afraid of? Like, what are you afraid of happening? Are you afraid to do that? Why are you afraid to do that? Um, and so that was a big key point in me graduating and picking what I wanted to do um, and go out. And then also even now, like recently, I went on a thing, we get retreat days, which is super great, a time just spent intentionally with the Lord. And I sat outside and I'm usually not a goal person, but I was like, dang, Lord, like, what do I want my life to look like in five years? What do I want my life to look like in 10 years? And a part of processing through those questions was, Lindsay, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid to walk through? What are you afraid to see? Um, and yeah, I, just, I, I think it's a very important question to ask and not to live in the fear of it. But then once you do answer the question, remembering the truths that God has said, the, His promises that He has stated, and knowing that whatever you fear, like He's walking with you through it. I've like always, like as a child, I was just like so timid and afraid of everything. I still kind of am, let's just be honest. And so like, I think from that, I just grew up and was like, I'm tired of being afraid. So anytime I feel like this little inkling of fear, I'm like, I'm going to do it. (laughs) And like, I don't know if that's like the best thing in the world. But um, just like even thinking about like living into like what the Lord is calling me or like just like this whole, I just like don't want to talk about calling too individually. This is a side note because like we also have a corporate calling as the church. And so we are going together in this calling. Um, But for like if the Lord is calling me to do an individual thing and I feel fear, I'm like, nope, get behind me saying I'm going to do it, you know, like, and just like pushing forward and just like not allowing fear to hold us back from what the Lord um, wants to produce fruit. Cause oftentimes the things I'm like really afraid of that the Lord is calling me into and I just like push through it, that becomes so fruitful Mm -hmm. um, for others. And so don't let fear Hold you back, guys. Yeah, and maybe the fear isn't even an ex- external. Maybe it's just internal. Maybe it's even just like taking the time to wrestle with questions one through five. Whoa, uh, th- <laughs> that's good. I think hey. that, you know, it's really easy to like have Brian pose these questions at the end of Synergy and be like, oh, Brian, that's so good. But then to actually like sit down and maybe just like pop up in your journal or like go on a walk and like, reflect on these questions and actually do some of that internal processing, I think is so important because before we can jump to like, 
who we are external. You have to do some of that internal work. I think that's such a big part of even just this entire series. Um, and so I think that don't be afraid to like, you know, take these questions one at a time. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to answer all six questions at once, but like take some set apart time to do like one question, two questions at a time. Um, but I really did love what, what Brian kind of closed with this line of like, don't let fear drive you, let grace lead you. Oh, um, so good. So just be grounded in the love of Christ and what Christ has done for you. Know that you are loved uh, and just know that what freedom that gives you um, to, yeah, to do some of that internal reflection, but then also to just go and do um, whatever you feel like he is is leading you to do and just continue to walk in step with his spirit. And uh, he is faithful to help us discern. Uh, any final thoughts from either of you guys? We have run a little long, so. Sorry, guys, but this was just so good. My final thought, honestly, I think what you said, Landon, it's just such a good application, and I just want to reiterate it because I just really think it would be so fruitful if our students really took these questions and journaled about them, like didn't just like passively thought about them, but really like use them as a resource in discerning um, what the do- what the Lord is doing around us, where we are being called individually and corporately, and also like looking into like what is stopping me from um, executing this call? Like, is there fear? Is there anything? And just like letting yourselves be guided by the Spirit to like fulfill that calling. So my thought, final thought is, please just go journal those questions. I think that's such a good idea, Landon. Yeah, or talk to somebody in your group about it or talk yes. to a staff member about it. Like we can do internal processing, processing externally by talking to other people and other people can speak things over us that like, I don't know, sometimes there'll be things that I like are in my head that I don't know until I've like vocalized it to someone else and like they help me get the wheels turning. So mm. you aren't also aren't like isolated in this process. Like you have to figure it out yourself. No, you can like bring in wise counsel around you as well. Um, so we feel good. Is this our, okay, hopefully your your cup of coffee was delicious and that you've enjoyed this conversation. Hopefully mm-hmm. it hasn't gone cold now because we've been talking for so long. Um, but yeah, I hope this has been helpful and I hope that um, going forward, we can be people who... Um, really let this stuff sink in. And so we'll be back next week to finish out um, the final week of our series, But Why? And uh, until next time, have a great week, guys. Bye.